Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, October 18th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. This week, Mercedes brings us the latest on the investigation into the use of the Emergencies Act during the Freedom Convoy protests in the nation's capital. Loblaws stores are freezing their prices on their no-name products. Will other grocery chains follow suit? We'll discuss the move by the supermarket giant with Janet Music of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. It's been labeled the silent killer. According to a new study from the Heart and Stroke Foundation, a large majority of health professionals are concerned about the increasing rates of high blood pressure. We speak with Dr. Kara Nuremberg, Professor of Community Health Sciences from the University of Calgary, for what you need to know about the dangers of hypertension. And finally, it's Tech Tuesday. We catch up with the gadget guy, Mike Yanni, for the hottest new high-tech Halloween decorations to help make your house the spookiest on the block. CSIS genuinely believed that the likelihood of an organized attack was quite low, but the possibility of a lone wolf attack was present. They also believed that the likelihood of radical groups recruiting in the ranks of this convoy was quite likely. Um, you know, This was a threat that we've never really seen before. That was a piece of Mercedes Stevenson's conversation with investigative journalist Justin Ling on this week's episode of The West Block. Host and Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief Mercedes Stevenson joins us now to talk about it. Hi, Mercedes. Hey, guys. How are you? Excellent. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Inquiry into the use of that Emergencies Act uh, continued yesterday. Where, Where are we at so far? So, my goodness, um, yesterday was quite the adventure (laughs) watching this. It's right now city officials who are testifying. We're expecting to hear from the mayor of Ottawa today, then the Ottawa police. Then it starts to go into intelligence uh, and federal policing officials and ultimately uh, as well into the actual convoy organizers themselves who are going to testify. um, And then cabinet ministers and the prime minister himself. And and these are... um, those who are wondering, why is there this inquiry, this commission? It's mandatory when you use the Emergencies Act that um, it's actually written into the act because it was designed to deal with some of the significant issues around the initial sort of version of it, which was with the, the War Measures Act, um, which was much more draconian. So anytime a federal government decides to use the Emergencies Act, they know they have to have this kind of a public inquiry uh, shortly thereafter it, it ending to justify its use or for people to say, you know what, it wasn't justified. And part of that is to deter governments from just using it willy-nilly. Now, what we heard yesterday uh, was from the city manager and from uh, the chief of staff to the mayor, which sounds a little dry until you start watching it. We learned some really interesting things. We learned the city of Ottawa, despite them having publicly said, and at the time the chief of police, Peter Slowly, we had no idea what this was going to turn into. In fact, had a pretty good idea of what was coming. Um, They knew that hotels were receiving calls trying to book them for 60 to 90 days. That doesn't seem much like a protest that's planning to stay for the weekend. Um, we knew that they had seen the open source intelligence that many of the other uh, you know, folks out there, including I'm sure some of your listeners had, it was on Twitter, uh, it was public. The organizers were not hiding their intent. They were saying we're going to come and we're going to stay until we get our way, uh, or in some cases until we remove the federal government and install this sort of like citizens committee they were talking mm-hmm. about. Um, and we also heard that one of the organizers actually went to City Hall and told them we're going to stick around until we get our way, essentially. We're planning a citizen's arrest of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. I mean, these were things that 
probably should have been red flashing flags that is this a situation where we want to allow large trucks to park in a downtown because it seems like it's not going to be other protests where it's a day or two of people standing or walking marches through Ottawa. It seems like the intent is to gridlock. They knew as many as 800 trucks were on the way here. Mm-hmm. Um, and how they explained why they didn't act was to essentially say they believed that constitutionally they could not impede uh, freedom of movement. How that correlated with allowing trucks to park, though, to, to allow them to move through an area is different than to allow somebody to obstruct a roadway because they weren't moving to you know private homes, private roads. These were public roads. And so there's sort of some pressure on the city right now about where did you get this legal opinion that you had to allow them to park? Uh, why weren't you better prepared for what was coming? And the other thing that we saw is just sort of this falling apart of any kind of responsibility at any level of government so far. It's it's snarky, it's nasty exchanges. It is the city saying it's not our fault, it's the police. It's the police saying we had no capacity to do this and we were telling people. It's the province basically ghosting them and just not coming to meetings and the federal government not getting back to them initially when they're asking for help and, and the mayor is talking about potentially meeting with members of the convoy and people in City Hall actually did meet with them because some folks say no one ever met with them. Um, that's not true. Some folks did meet with them, but they were not the federal government, which is who a lot of them wanted to speak to. Uh, but there was this series of text messages I had to share with you because it was just so kind of crazy between the chief of staff to the mayor and the chief of staff to public safety minister Marco Mendicino. And as they're going back and forth, the tone of it is such that at one point, one person insists the other person remembers saying something and they say, oh, I, I must have forgotten to take my Alzheimer's medication today, I guess. It is nasty. Wow. Um, and this is apparently the tone that was going on behind the scenes. And Mercedes, if you've been uh-huh. following this, uh, Premier Doug Ford uh, said he was in support of the use of the Emergencies Act, uh, but he's not been asked to testify. Is that right? Yeah, so he it was, was not really engaged in any of this, is what we're learning so far, which is interesting. Like, what, what was that? Uh, the province does have some responsibility for what happens in Ottawa, and there are provincial things that can happen. Uh, But the Solicitor General, we were told yesterday, basically didn't get back to the city about things um, that they felt they weren't interested, that they weren't even showing up to the tripartite meetings between um, the city, the province, and the federal government. Uh, It it sort of seems like they didn't want to touch this with a 10-foot pole. So, you know, we we may hear yet from people there, but they sort of seem to have had the least involvement. did they calculate a political risk there? Is it a political risk that it's going to come out that they didn't do anything when they were asked to do some things? Uh, I think we'll find all that out. But keep in mind, this particular commission is looking for the federal government to ju- justify their use of the Emergencies Act. So even though we're going to hear from all these other people about how this came to pass and what happened, what the commissioner is really trying to get to the bottom of is, was there no other choice for the federal government? Did they have to do this? And did it meet the bar that is necessary for the Emergencies Act to be used? And on that note, the Prime Minister is supposed to testify, correct? That's right. He is, in fact, going to testify. He he has to. Um, That sort of, again, goes back to this when the federal government decides to 
use such a powerful act, which suspends some civil liberties, um, there is a requirement there that the government um, and even the prime minister, if they're asked to call, have to come. This is not like a parliamentary committee where he can say, "Mm, I don't really feel like being grilled by opposition MPs. And it's not being run by MPs, by the way, right? It's a judge. And then people testify. And then lawyers for all these interveners are able to get up in succession. Like we must have watched five or six of them yesterday. And they'd each get up and grill a witness. One from the government of Canada. One representing the convoy. uh, One representing the Ottawa Police Service. So it's almost more legalistic in the way that it goes down than what you would see at a parliamentary hearing. Because it's not along partisan lines. Mercedes, thanks for the update. A busy week for you. Uh, We appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Yesterday, Loblaws announced they're going to freeze the price of 1,500 of their no-name products until the end of the year as a response to the high inflation we're experiencing right now. Is this good business or just a PR stunt? Joining us to talk about it is Janet Music, Agri-Food Analytics Lab and Faculty of Management at Dalhousie University. Hi, Janet. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Hey, does it matter whether this is good business or a PR stunt? I think it benefits all of us, right? Uh, that's that's been my point. I don't think it matters to the consumer who's uh, you know has an opportunity here to save some money. You know, people are really cynical about the large grocery retailers, and within reason, you know, they come by that honestly. But if this is an opportunity to save money in the face of of skyrocketing inflation, then I think, you know, let's not worry about that. Well, there's been conversations, Janet, about the inflation. Has it been profitable for the grocery stores? Can we put a number on how much further ahead they have been? Well, you know, it's interesting because they operate in the same kind of inflationary landscape that we run our households in. They're not in a vacuum. And, you know, all of those things that we're paying more for, transportation, uh, gas and energy, you know, supplies and inputs, they're paying more for that too. And and instead of looking at their, you know, overall profit in dollar amounts, we should look at that ratio, that percentage. And really, they're still only making 3 to 5% you know, profit a year, which is not very much when you look at the large banks, for example. Mm-hmm. Last year, Scotiabank made 33% profit, but we're not talking about them. So I think, you know consumers have a right to be skeptical the bread pricing scandal of 2017 it left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths no pun intended and you know i think we carry that forward when we go into the grocery store i got a couple of dollars out of that bread scandal so it was worth it in the end uh janet curious if you think other grocery store chains are going to follow suit with what loblaws is doing because whether it's a pr stunt or not i think it makes a difference Well, interestingly, last night, Metro released a statement to say that it was industry practice to have a blackout kind of period on raising prices during the holidays on their house brands, which is really interesting because normally they don't make statements, uh, public statements. And also, what are they admitting to here that it's, you know, an industry practice? Well, what does that mean Mm -hmm. when the industry only has three to five players in it? So... I think that's raising a lot more questions than whatever Loblaws is doing. It, it, you know, are they are they admitting to some kind of collusionary practice here? You know, very surprising. So, you know, I don't know uh, if if in fact that's what they're talking about. And it's you know, 
I think well, there's going to be a lot of questions being asked. Is there a consolation prize for coming in second? So if Empire and, and Metro decide to freeze their house brands, if that's not a practice they already participate in, uh, will it have the same kind of impact on consumers? It's, it, I don't know that it does because Loblaws is huge, much, much bigger than the other two. So I think what Loblaws benefits from is attracting a bit more market share as people, you know, switch to no frills mm-hmm. over the other more expensive brands. And we do know, Janet, as Canadians uh, here in Calgary, it's, you know, the no frills or superstore, those yellow boxes that say no name. But within those 1,500 products, the difference that it will make to the average consumer, uh, what products will they get the best deals on, I guess? Which products have been hardest hit by inflation? Well, it's interesting. So one of the most expensive products that we purchase in our grocery shop is meat. And, uh, you know, I don't know that meat is one of those. They didn't actually provide a list, did they, to us Mm -hmm. to say, okay, what is going to be on sale here? And, you know, we're committed meat eaters, red meat eaters, especially in this country. Will we be able to see, you know, inflation kind of decrease on those products? I don't know that that's going to be the case, but certainly no frills or no name, all sorts of canned vegetables, butter, milk, all of those kind of staples. It would be possible to do virtually most of your grocery shopping on that brand name. And, and you know, people are, it's very similar quality and some people prefer it. It really depends on taste, but it, it's got the same nutritional value. And if it's cheaper, then people should switch. I think no matter how you look at it, it's a good move. Thank you so much for joining us with your perspective this morning, Janet. Thanks for having me. Janet Music, Agri-Foods Analytics Lab and Faculty of Management at Dalhousie University. And it kind of begs the question, Andy, do you switch? Do you start now shopping at a Loblaws, at a, you know, a superstore or a no-frills store to get at that? Because if you look at the back of the packaging, yes. you see who actually makes the product. And most of the no-name products are a name brand label. Does it really? Are you kidding? It yeah. does. Oh, it says 100% it does. So on the back of, for example, if I found a no-name ketchup, it would mention like the Heinz yep. factory? Or, yes, Seriously? Yes. Can anybody confirm this? Because I think that, I think you're uh, pulling my leg. No, here. I'm telling you the truth. Uh, now I worked I, at Loblaws for 100 years. So now I'm going to have to go and look at you now that you've done that to me. But uh, for me, I have these little experiments that I do. Um, I can talk about a lot of them. Some of them I can't. Uh, but the experiment I do with my teens is to see how far we can stretch our grocery dollar to, to try to teach them about shopping. And before the pandemic, I said, let's see if we can feed a family of six for $100 for dinners, just dinners, yep. for a week. And I think we got within 110 bucks. I think that the kids wanted to be a little bit more. They wanted a special treat. Yeah. So with this one, though, because I know the no-name products are kind of the best deal you can get, maybe I'll take them in to, to the superstore and say, let's go for 100 bucks. let's do for it, do it. Because I, I, I sometimes notice specific brands, like you know, the macaroni and cheese, whatever it might be. And uh, But now I haven't gone out of my way to see if I can buy everything on my list, no-name. You, you literally could because, I mean, there's... there's 1,500 there's items. Frozen food, there's canned yeah. food, there's p- boxed food. I mean, you there, there are a ton of products. You'll be surprised when you now go and look for yeah. them specifically. And, you know, why, who, why wouldn't you take advantage of that? Like, there's a texter saying no-name pasta, really good. It's pasta. How, you can't go wrong. Why wouldn't you go <laughs> I think for you the can. no-name? 
Well, I, I guess you can, but I, th- I don't think you can in this case. A lot has to do with those cheese packets when it comes to the, well, they're saying regular pasta, but for the macaroni. But the pasta is the pasta. And the sauce, really? If you're putting some spices in there and cutting up some fresh mushrooms and putting it in a pasta and sauce that's no name? Vegetables are vegetables. Problem? Maybe not so much in the can. I don't care for canned vegetables, but yeah. frozen vegetables... Does it really matter, the label? That, yeah, that's a good question. And, and will this change your shopping habits? Will this change your routine, knowing that the superstore here in Calgary, and I think No Frills, for example, prices will be frozen to the end of this year? Is that going to change things for you? <music> According to Stance Canada, hypertension affects almost one in four Canadian adults and the risk of developing high blood pressure in one's lifetime is estimated, well, I believe this, 90%. Joining us to discuss what is called this silent killer is Dr. Kara Nuremberg, Heart and Stroke Chair, Women's Heart and Brain Health Associate Professor, Departments of Medicine, Obstruct, uh, Obstetrics, that's what I'm saying, and Gynecology at the University of Calgary. Good morning to you, Karen. Karen, Good sorry. morning. Good morning. Uh, listen, uh, you know, let's break this down. We got the stats when we say one in four, but can we put a number to uh, just how many Canadians are living with high blood pressure? Yeah, that's a great question. It's about 8 million people in Canada that we know have high blood pressure, and it probably is even higher than that because many people are walking around with high blood pressure and don't even know it. All right, so, I mean... It's the silent killer. What is it about high blood pressure that ultimately, you know, if if it's not treated, if it's not found, and it can real truly become an issue that could change your life quite dramatically, yeah. obviously. Yeah, so high blood pressure over time, if it's not treated, starts to damage the blood vessels. It makes the blood pressure, the blood vessels stiffer and leads to what we call accelerated atherosclerosis or hardening of those blood pressure, blood vessels. And that's what goes on to cause either a stroke in the brain or a heart attack. We also know that it's related to heart failure and kidney disease and premature death as well. Kara, we, we talk about, you know, people being undiagnosed. And besides when we go for our physical, for example, and the doctor puts the cuff on, how can I on a day-to-day basis, you know, um, understand or feel that my blood pressure might be off? Are there signs we can look for when we're not in the doctor's office? Yeah, so that's also a great question. So um, just two things there is that, yes, getting it measured at the doctor's office is very important, but also any other healthcare provider too can measure a blood pressure during uh, visits, including pharmacists. There's a great program in Alberta where pharmacists are are, um, treating blood pressure. In terms of symptoms, it can be very variable. A lot of people don't even feel unwell at all. However, if you start to develop headaches, like constant headaches or pressure, some people just feel a little bit tired as well. Um, if you start to get chest pain or pressure or tightness in the chest, then that's certainly something that you should get looked at. And some people also start to get cramps in their legs, um, in their calves in particular when they're walking. So those might be a wide range of symptoms, but certainly severe headache and chest pain, um, people should definitely seek medical care for that. Okay, so doctor, let's talk about some lifestyle choices then that lead to high blood pressure. Can it just be sort of, you know, a genetic thing or is it always really to how we live our lives, whether it be food or lack of exercise? Yeah, it's a combination of all that. So certainly in everybody, we know that we can prevent high blood pressure in the large majority of people. Um, Probably around 88% or so of high blood pressure can be prevented through um, uh, health behaviors like physical activity, about 150 minutes of pretty vigorous, moderate to vigorous physical activity a week. 
uh, consuming a healthy diet, smoking avoidance, and limiting alcohol. Uh, those tend to be some of the healthy habits that we can use to, to prevent high blood pressure from developing. However, you raise a good point that it does tend to run in families and there may be genetic uh, contributions to it. Certainly as well as people are have overweight or obesity, it's more common there. But we also do know that there can be other causes of high blood pressure. So uh, there can be kidney problems that lead to high blood pressure. Sleep apnea, when people snore and stop breathing overnight, tends to raise the blood pressure uh, and a lot of different hormone problems. So that's why it's important to have your blood pressure measured and then go on to subsequent testing if needed. Kara, thanks for your time on this uh, important topic. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. It is Dr. Kara Nirenberg, Heart and Stroke Chair, Women's Heart and Brain Health Associate Professor at the University of Calgary. And he's not just the gadget guy, Mike Yanni. He's a huge fan of Halloween. So you're marrying uh, two of your favorites, your love of tech and Halloween. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. High-tech Halloween. I'm a Halloween nut. Yes, you are. I, I love Halloween. It's one of my favorite holidays other than Christmas. Um, but I like to go a little bit over the top each year. I started planning two months ago for <laughs> Halloween, and this last week has been the hardcore build week. But there are some simple things you can do to take your Halloween decorations, your display in your front yard, to the next level. And some of them are really cheap. So I'm going to, I'm going to go through four things you can do. Okay. And the first one I want to talk about is lighting. It's one thing if you have a ton of Halloween decorations out in your front yard, but as soon as the sun goes down, they're all in the dark. Unless you have those, you know, light-up inflatables, which I'm not a huge fan of, but some people are. I kind of like the more scary traditional. So something simple to do is use landscaping lights. Either it's the ones that you already have in your flower beds, rearrange them. For example, if you have a, a, a graveyard in the front yard, you can put an actual landscape light in front of each gravestone and lights it up, and it makes a world of difference. Just adding a little bit of light, or if you have colored lights, you know, change them to red to give it that creepy, eerie glow. It makes a huge difference. Okay. Another thing you can do is sound. Do you guys have like a good Bluetooth speaker? Yes. All you have to do is hide a speaker outside somewhere. Mm-hmm. Even if you have no decorations whatsoever, mm-hmm. imagine walking up to a house. You know, it's, it's dark, and you have you know the the sound effects of a swamp playing in the background. Sometimes sound is all it takes to kind of transform that yard into something, even if you don't have visuals. Because your, your mind kind of takes you there, right? Okay, that's a couple of easy, pretty, yeah, you know, inexpensive ways to do it, right? Yeah, it's exactly. You can get, you know, Bluetooth speakers for like $30 and stick it out in the yard. And no one's going to know. If you have an expensive one, even better, it's going to sound amazing. If you want to take up a little bit more, uh, you know, we've seen foggers and smoke machines. They're, you know, a dime a dozen. Have you heard about ground foggers? Mm-mm. This is it's pretty cool. So what it is, is it's like a traditional smoke machine. However, what it does is it chills the fog before it shoots out the nozzle. And what that does is it actually has the, the fog low. It stays low, like about knee level. So it makes that really creepy graveyard effect. Basically, what you're seeing on stage at the Jubilee or you know Broadway across Canada where you see that low-lying fog, they're about, they run about $100. Mm-hmm. Um, but the effect is great. The only thing is you have to be careful about is wind. And Calgary is windy. If you have any wind, it kicks it up and it makes you look like your house is on fire, basically. <laughs> <laughs> That's a problem. Oh, man. Yeah. The last one I want to talk about, yep. and I've been a huge fan of this for years, 
You can either build your own or you can buy them online. Cobweb guns. Have you heard of these? No. I've seen you use one live. Yeah, you have actually, Andy. Um, it's simple. This is a trick actually used by Universal, used by Disney, used on a lot of movie sets. Essentially what you're doing is using a hot glue gun connected with an air compressor. So when you squeeze the trigger on the hot glue gun, it shoots out a little stream of glue, and then it gets carried by that shot of air from the air compressor and creates the ultimate spider webs. This looks so realistic. You can use it outside on the tree. If you have tombstones or any props, you can use it in the house. You just got to be a little bit careful because this hot glue, so careful, test it on a surface before you use it. Don't let you don't the kids do this stay. one either. No, exactly. Keep it away from certain things, obviously. But I'm telling you, this makes such realistic cobwebs. You will fool the entire neighborhood. And it's, it's really just hot glue guns. And like I said, you can find plans online to do this yourself. I made one a couple of years ago. I still use it every year. You can buy it for about $50, $60 online, and it is incredible. Do you have a YouTube video about that by any chance? I don't know. I don't think I've done one yet on that, and I should yeah. because it's actually pretty easy to build. Okay. Um, but what I really should be doing is a video of what I'm doing this year. I'm using pneumatics this year with a coffin. I'm pretty excited about my build this year on the front yard. I'm taking it to the next level. Yeah, and uh, we'll uh, look for your address online. Yeah, so Mike. Do, you, um, yeah. do you give out full-size chocolate bars too? We did. and usually, Actually, we do cans of pop usually. Oh, He's over. full service, this yeah, guy. Yeah, I hear. Mike, uh, <laughs> thank you so much. You're the perfect guy to talk to when it comes to Halloween and uh, getting high-tech just in time for Halloween. Thank you, and happy Halloween to you. Thank you. i got to get to work now. Apparently. <laughs> that is uh, the Gadget Guy, Mike Yanni. Of course, you can find him online at, at Gadget Guy Mike or his YouTube channel. Go to Google and search Gadget Guy Mike Yanni.